Hi, Seth. How are you? Oh, doing good all the way in Vancouver, Canada. It's a lovely evening. Is it nice and sunny? It was cloudy, a bit on the cold side, but it was uh, otherwise a beautiful day. But it's so nice to have access to you uh, online. So thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Oh, no, my pleasure. We've had to become adaptable with regards to the current situation, and it, it has allowed us the opportunity to reconnect and engage with each other in a different method. How are you coping? Actually, doing very well. I know that there are people that are struggling, but I've always found myself to be resilient, and I've built in ways that I stay resilient by keeping myself busy. And equally at the same time, it's about having those outlets. I found that it hasn't been too difficult. And part of the reason being is the outlets that I've instituted and the fact that, you know, working from home has enabled me to uh, really get things done the way I would like to have them done. And, you know, I've always thrived in ambiguity and uncertainty. So it's not the first time I've had to encounter something that where I've had to change. So then I just roll with it and change and here I am. You have conversations with so many people across the world. What is mm -hmm. your take? Are people um, doing the best they can? It, it really does vary. It's a spectrum. And it doesn't mean that people are weak. Mm -hmm. Everybody's situation is unique and different. A way that we can understand it is this concept I've come up with, which I call starts. And it's a way to help people support and understand how they can get through it. And starts basically means support. We need to create a supportive environment. Uh, T stands for trust. Trust is really important once you have a supportive environment. A is appreciation. People forget to appreciate the things that are around them. And the way to appreciate it is through the R, which is reflection. We need to reflect to help us gain the insights to appreciate again. And, this, and the last T of starts means talk. We need to engage in conversation so people don't feel alone and able to share their thoughts and ideas. And we do all this, the start, the last S stands for strength. We then have a place of strength to work from. People that I've talked to, and it's about uh, three to eight conversations a week that I have, it ranges. Some people are coping really well. Some people are thriving. Some people are really struggling and they're just looking for an avenue to share. And my job isn't to say, oh, smile more and the world will be better. It's about listening to what people have to say and understanding that everybody has different coping mechanisms. But then it's about activating and saying, OK, so is there an outlet that you have something that allows you some freedom? For me, it would be woodworking and writing. When I'm in those spaces, I have no idea where the time goes. But for some, it may be drawing. It may be yoga, going for walks. It's just whatever you need to pull in as your respite, as your escape place, will help. How, how do you find your inspiration? Well... What inspires me is the fact that there's so much that I have to share. I feel that I've been gifted with experiences, opportunities, but the important thing is it's not for me to hold in. There's a need for me to share all this. So all of this experience and knowledge, it's meant to be given away. And every time I give it away, it's interesting because People are like, well, you should be charging for this. I'm like, you do realize that as I give it away, a lot more comes back. Opportunities, conversations with people. Um, uh, my inspiration comes from supporting and helping, sharing. And I think the world needs a lot more of this. We all have something to contribute to this world. You have a set of values you live by? I very strongly, I have these values and they have changed over time. There are five things that guide and direct me in life. 
These are things I am not willing to compromise and not willing to give up. I will fight for these things. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, community do-gooder. Mm -hmm. I have 12 projects that I'm working on right now. All 12 projects hit five out of five. If it doesn't hit five out of five, I'm not going to undertake this. It's my moral compass. It's what guides me in life. But think of it this way. To build a house, you need a solid foundation. To build a life, we need a solid foundation. So the five core elements that I've just shared with you, those five values, it's the way that I determine what I should do in life. And this is where the sharing comes in. When I teach my class, 130 students, I tell them, what is it that guides you in life? I don't need to know what you're going to do. What I need to know is who are you? Because a lot of people struggle with this. Who are you? So then I say, what are the five things that make up your foundation that you're not willing to compromise and not career, life and career? And they struggle with this because they think that you have to nail the exact five right off the bat. And they're worried about what if I pick the wrong words? I'm like, you're not going to pick the wrong words if they matter to you and much to your point, Ron. They're going to change over time. And that's okay. Mine have changed over time. I used to have the word leadership and student development as the two of the five. Well, leadership is too broad. What do I mean by that? And student development, well, I help students for sure, but I equally helped help recent grads, mid-level managers, senior managers, teams, organizations. So I've had to change those words because one was too broad, one was too narrow. <clears throat> the way that I've come up with these values, and I highly encourage anyone listening to this, is to ask yourself what really matters. If you're in school, what courses have you done that you really like or don't like? Why? Why do you like it or don't like it? What is it that, that jumps out at you? At work, what type of job are you doing? What do you like about your job and what's lacking in the job? Mm -hmm. And why is it lacking or why is it something you enjoy? And in your social time, what are you doing? Why, are you, why do you do it? What do you like? And, you know, the why. I also encourage people that there's a free online test. It's called the 16 personalities. It's the Myers-Briggs test. You're going to get your four letters, put it into Google, and you'll be able to find out strengths and weaknesses. And that may help you to determine some of the things that may become your foundation. And again, you don't have to get it right in the very beginning, but these will change over time but you need a point to jump from. The moment I started doing this, instantly I had clarity in my life. The question of who are you? Mm -hmm. Sam, who are you? Mm -hmm. Well, I've given you my five values, but added to those five values, I'm somebody that's a speaker and a storyteller. I'm a mentor and a coach. I'm an educator. I'm someone that is also a writer who also is an entrepreneur and intrapreneur. I'm a problem solver. I know quite well who I am. And as a result, I know that what I'm capable of, but I also know who I'm not. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm, I know that I'm very, um, objective. I'm, I'm very qualitative, but not quantitative. What I always tell people is strengths and weaknesses. People say, or may say, make your weakness into a strength. I always say, you're going to burn a lot of jet fuel trying to make a weakness into a strength. Don't ignore your weakness. Bring it to an acceptable level but really focus on what comes naturally to you. And you aren't going to be good at it. You're going to be great at it. And great is the marker that I've always implemented in my life. I don't want to be good at something. I need to be great at something. 
I don't just give my money to the financial advisor and then say, I'll see you next year. When we have our conversations, he's going to talk to me about different areas of finance. I just need to understand what does he what does he mean by it? But I'm not going to invest my own money in in the bank, in the world or whatever. That's his job. That's what he's really good at. Same with I've got an accountant. I'm not going to do my own books, but I'll supply my accountant all the details. So the idea is that I know what I'm good at, and that really becomes who I am. And it's an individual who really does care about people, who loves to share. And I really do want to see people succeed. I'm like the coach on a, on a football team. Mm -hmm. And you're behind the bench. And when your team wins the championship and they're celebrating, the coach will stand in the back with a smile on his face and just nod and go, yes. That's the way I guide my life. Um, I don't need to be acknowledged or recognized by people. I don't need to um, gain anything from the hundreds that I've mentored over the years. But I sit with this satisfactory uh, satisfaction and this smile of amazing what this person has accomplished. Not to my success. That's their success. I'm glad I was on their journey. It's very humble of you. But if you say, if if you say Sam is a writer and a, a you know speaker, a mentor, mm -hmm. how are you able to strike a work life balance? You have two boys. How do you be mm -hmm. part of their life? You you're part of everybody else's life, but how do you make yep. sure you strike that balance? Yeah, actually, it's interesting because I even had to speak at a conference on work life balance. And everybody around me laughed and they said, of all people, how can you speak at this conference? Because, you know, you're, you're always doing all these things. And I told them, I said, actually, I have no idea where work ends and pleasure starts. <laughs> um, because, again, this, these are the things that I get to do. Uh, when I'm teaching my class, it doesn't feel like work. When I'm writing my book it doesn't feel like work. When I'm hanging out with my boys, it doesn't feel like work. Uh, I've always said, I don't have a job or career. I have fulfillment. So all of these things that emerge uh, has allowed me latitude and flexibility. The other part that's always interesting is I get asked a lot for, you know, can you do this or, you know, and any number of requests. And I've always said, when a request comes, we often look at it as an absolute. So if, you know, for example, when you've asked me to be a part of this, of course, this was an easy yes, but equally at the same time, oftentimes we're committed to either say yes or no. Oftentimes what I say in, is a different way. Somebody asked me to join their board of a nonprofit. And instead of saying, yes, I I would love to be it, but I'm really busy, but yes or no, and try to explain why. I said, actually, I, it's going to be hard for me to join your board, but here's what I can do. I could be a board of advisors. So what I've just done is I now own it because I've rather than a yes or no to their terms, I've put things into my terms. So I've always told people, instead of saying yes or no and feeling obligated or feeling bad, you have to say no. Instead, turn it around and say, well, here's what I can do. Put it on your terms, but then you must deliver what you've just said. That's an easy way. But for me, I just find I don't know where work ends and pleasure starts. And I, I think I really have a good understanding of work-life balance. It's also because you enjoy what you do. It's, yeah, I, I, have, I, do. I can vouch for that. I know that it is something that you want to. You, it, it, it's coming mm -hmm. from, from the heart that you want to have. Yes. So. Well, and if I may, uh, you just brought up a really good word. And if I may share that word, the word passion. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because I always say passion cannot be sustained. Passion is an igniter to a much bigger thing, which is purpose. Wow. And purpose is where I am right now. I have found purpose in my life. 
passion is important because you need that igniter. And for the young people, you can't ask them, what's your purpose? Because they're still at the discovery stage. Even people in industry are still at the discovery stage, but you need to start focusing on converting that passion because passion cannot be sustained into purpose. The other way that I look at it as well is passion is outward focused. Purpose is inward focused. And the need is eventually, once you strike that fulfillment and purpose, it's an amazing place to be. So do you have a lot of people coming to you and asking you um, for advice in terms of, can I please give you my life and can you lead it for me? I get a lot of people coming to me with that or they'll be like, uh, I want to be an entrepreneur. What business should I start? I'm like, if I knew what business to start, would I not do that? Oftentimes I get asked a lot. Like I always say, I don't provide advice. I provide insight. When they come to me, they think of me as, as this orange saffron bearded man sitting on top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not in an orange saffron. Yes, somewhat of a beard. But they're looking for this monk to give them the answers to life. What I said is, I'm going to be what I call the difficult monk. You come to me looking for the answers, I'm going to repurpose and refocus it and ask you questions because the monk you're looking for is within you. I just need to ask the right questions to unlock the answers that lie within you. <clears throat> so when you, anyone comes to me, I'm always asking questions. Well, what would you like to talk about today? What matters to you? Tell me about the five things that you're not willing to compromise. It goes on and on. But those are things that I will always ask. And the reason I do this is there's enough people out there telling you what to do. I want to be that champion enabler that I've mentioned as one of the five things who listens to what matters to you and then saying, you know, let me share this or that sounds really interesting. Have you thought of this mm -hmm. or can I connect you to this? So the champion enabler, and I've always said, I need to activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around you. And that's how I, I proceed and I go about. And what's interesting is I, like I said, I, I do about three to eight conversations a week. About 5,000 conversations over the last 20 years, I guess. Wow. And people ask, do you ever get overwhelmed? Do you ever feel tired? Do you ever get to the point where you're like, enough? I, two things. Number one, I say, I worry not about having too many conversations. I worry about the day people don't want to come and talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'd rather look at it that way. The other part that people ask me is, uh, do you ever get to the point where you've had enough? And I said, well, think of it this way. If my life was a bucket, a giant bucket, mm -hmm. and I'm having conversations with people and they've got the smaller buckets and I'm pouring my contents into their bucket, what's happening to my bucket? It's depleting. Now, that's if my life was a bucket. The mindset that I've established for myself is I am a lit candle and there's a room full of unlit candles. So when I speak at a conference, it's unlit candles and I'm a lit candle. But as we engage in a conversation, even if it's one on one, when the wicks will touch, a big flame emerges. But when we pull away, my flame is no less depleted. But now I've lit someone. I want to light up that room. Mm. So I have a mindset established that I'm not going to have my life as a bucket where I'm pouring my contents in. I live my life as a candle, a lit candle, who's there to light up a room. When you shift your mindset, anything is possible. Okay, let's talk about career and, um, mm -hmm. and the path that you were on in your career. Do you want to tell mm -hmm. us, give us a little bit about what was your career path? My career path was never linear. I thought it was linear, but it was never linear. I graduated from university with a degree in business and political science and thought, wow, what an amazing comp combination we have. 
I started applying for jobs and I started getting rejection letters. But I was like, but I have a degree in business and political science. What an amazing combination. Who's lucky to get me? Well, I had 83 rejection letters, 83 in a short time. Every single letter became a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. And it was to the point where it's not a matter of who's lucky to get me. It's, am I lucky to get a job? And these letters were saying, we don't have a job for you. We're not sure what job you're looking for. Good luck. My first job, though, was actually emptying rubbish bins and mopping floors in a hospital as a janitor. That was my first job hired out of university. Now, I could have looked at this and said, poor me. I didn't. I said, okay, here I am working in a hospital as a janitor. Let's move forward. Do you know that I learned three valuable life lessons from being a janitor? First lesson, my father said, I don't care what you do, you do the best job possible. Do you know that at the end of my shift, there was no floor cleaner and there was no rubbish bin left full. It meant that I needed to put tremendous effort into anything I do, even as a janitor. The second valuable lesson I learned, there were times that nurses, doctors, administrators would not even acknowledge me because, well, you're a janitor. We have nothing in common. I know what it feels like to be ignored. So as a result, this is why I talk to people. I want to know their story because I never want them to feel rejected or ignored. And the third valuable lesson, well, if I was a janitor, I told myself I need to learn some valuable lessons that are going to carry me forward. So in anything that I do, the lesson was there are lessons to be learned, but you have to be open to them. So rather than absolute of it's a it's terrible, I'm a janitor, I got my degree on the wall. Instead, I focused on learning. And think of it this way. If I learned three valuable lessons from being a janitor, that still carries me to who I am today. What are we able to, anybody able to pick up whatever job they're doing today? The thing that's really interesting is if one of those 83 rejections would have materialized, I would not be here today speaking to you because my life would have gone in a different trajectory. I actually embrace those rejections now. And I look at many of those companies that turned me down. They no longer exist. I outlasted them. The resilience piece, we all will outlast companies. So really focus on that. After I finished that, then I got into retail about a year. Do you know what? I did that. It wasn't me, but I did it for a year. Then I got into this corporate job, uh, insurance corporation at BC. Again, as a claims adjuster, I could do it, but it wasn't me. And then halfway through that, that's when something happened, clicked inside saying, it was almost like this fork in the road. Do I go into claims and this corporate life and do this for the rest of my career till retirement, or do I go in different direction? And I decided to look around and I thought human resources, because that was my education. And this place called road safety, preventing auto crimes and crashes from happening, you know, against drinking and driving sounds interesting, but I had no experience in this. So here I am and people saying, again, the noise, you know, you can't get the job there because they hire from outside and you haven't got any experience. Well, I phoned the guy in my department, in that road safety department, and that was on a Friday I phoned him. Tuesday, I'm with him in a park, helping him and thinking, I like this. And I did more and more of these activities to build, but it wasn't a matter of you know, oh, I'm going to be in road safety. I did it because I actually was having a lot of fun. Well, a year, well, eight months in, a job came up and I didn't get the job. And everybody in road safety, I didn't get the job in road safety, but everybody said, 
Why will you not listen to us? You're not going to get there. I kept on, kept on, and again, really enjoyed it. And next thing you know, a year and four, four months in, I got the job in road safety. And everybody was like, how did you do that? And I did the road safety job for six and a half years. And it's the first time I loved going to work on Mondays and uh, enjoyed the opportunities. But after six and a half years, I thought, ah, oh, you know, I've been with the company 13 years. Maybe it's time to move on. And the company had offered a buyout to all the employees to say, we need 850 people out of 6,000 to leave. And I looked at it. And again, the noise, Sam, of all people, you love your job, government work, great benefits, pension, uh, stability. And if you leave, you don't have a job. Well, two words, comfort and uncertainty. Comfort. As a society, we strive to comfort. But the challenge with comfort is we stop growing as an individual. I stopped growing. Although I love the job, I stopped growing. And the other word was uncertainty. With 850 people leaving, they could move me where they want if I stayed in the company. By leaving, it's uncertainty. I don't have a job. It dawned on me. I control uncertainty. They don't. I walked to the edge of the cliff. I moved my cursor into that dialogue box. And I clicked and I set in motion that I'm leaving the company. And everybody says, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. 100% of the people around me, my wife, my parents, friends, coworkers, nobody supported me. They said, you've just made the biggest mistake of your life. My boss even said, when I went to go sign the paperwork, he pulled it towards himself and he said, I don't want you to go. I can reverse this. I said, I'm sorry, I've already checked out. I'm, I want to leave. And I pulled a paper and I signed it. And everybody told me I made the biggest mistake of my life. Well, a month and a half after I left, I thought, huh, I guess I should think about the next iteration. And I said, there's two places I think I'd really like to work. One is Simon Fraser University, the, the school I graduated from. And the second place was the Vancouver Olympic Bid Committee. In other words, in 2010, Vancouver hosted the Winter Olympics. I thought that might be a cool project to work on. Well, closing date for a job was Friday. I went in on Wednesday, closing date was Friday, submitted an application. Three interviews later, here I am working on the Olympic bid to get the games to Vancouver and working on one of the largest projects that Canada has seen and had the most amazing time. I mean, I was working 8 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night almost every day. When the IOC, the International Olympic Committee came to visit, we were working 4 a.m. to midnight every day, and it didn't matter. I was on so much adrenaline because I really wanted to do this job. Do you know what? We won the bid. And six months later, I got the job at Simon Fraser University. My director of communications was a reference for me at SFU. And she basically told him, you better hire him. He only wants to work for the Olympic bid and he's finished there and he's not gonna stop till he works for you. And I got the job working at Simon Fraser University, student engagement. And part of the reason I wanted student engagement, nobody was there to guide and support me when I graduated and throughout my career in the beginning. I wanted to go there to help young people in life and career. And through that process, I got into teaching. And in that middle somewhere, I also started a nonprofit called Gratis One to help young people in life and career, which now has merged with the League of Innovators and has gone Canada wide. So that's my life. Um, are there any decisions you've made that you regret? No, none, none, none whatsoever. Uh, being a janitor, doing retail. The reason is, I think all of those aspects I embraced, good or bad. 
One of my favorite quotes, obstacles are the necessary bricks on our road to success. I never fear the obstacles. And in fact, I embrace the obstacles because they're the things that make me stronger. And I needed these obstacles. I needed to learn these valuable lessons in order to make me who I am today. But Sam, when, when, I, when you say you don't regret any decisions, mm-hmm. is it in the moment that you regretted it? Now you don't regret it because it brought you to where you are? Um, because it's difficult mm-hmm. to hear um, that you don't mm-hmm. regret something or a decision yeah. that you've mm-hmm. made. Um, to, to tell us about that. And, and if you don't yeah. regret it, you've, you've taken a risk. How do you embrace mm-hmm. risk-taking? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about this. I walked to the edge of the cliff and left everything that says I should stay to something that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. And I embrace that. And the reason I say I don't have the regret piece, and again, it's not that I'm superhuman. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I think, again, it goes back to that mindset that I go into anything. Uh, we call this appreciative inquiry. So oftentimes when appreciative inquiry, it's deficit-based. Like in other words, what is it that I lack that I need to fix? I go from asset-based. In other words, what, what do I have that is positive? So when I go into a, a situation or somewhere, I always look at it from the standpoint of, okay, what am I going to learn here? Even as a janitor, I never sat there going like, this is the worst. I mean, I got the degree and this is bad news. Instead, I was like, you know what? I'm just fortunate. I've got a job. This isn't the last place I'm going to be. What am I going to gain from here that's going to help me as I move forward? So I think, again, it really becomes this mindset. And maybe this, I realize it may not be realistic for some people because, you know, they're they're not having the luxury of a job that they really enjoy. But I think what I did was anytime I'm put into a situation Instead of focus on the problem, I'm already focusing on opportunities that guides me to a solution. I'm looking at it as I'm here. This isn't this this isn't the end part. I guess the way I also look at it is, you know, if you're uh, Robert Hastings said it beautifully in the poem "The Station." My life, instead of focusing on the station, the next destination. I actually am on the journey. The journey is the most important part. So everything that I've encountered in life that's been positive or challenging, I don't say bad, but challenging, I look at it with this eye of, okay, here's what's been dealt. How do I fix it? How do I move forward? How is this going to help me as I move forward? What lessons am I pulling from this? And that goes back to the Obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to my success. You can't have success without these obstacles. And yet we fear the obstacles. We avoid the obstacles. I embrace them saying, I actually do need them. Yeah. Hopefully that helps. It does. It does. It, mm-hmm. um, for, for our listeners, what's the, what, mm-hmm. give, can you give us advice on, mm-hmm. on how we can better our career? What, what should be, mm-hmm. how should we plan it? What are the, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are the things that we should look for? And, and how do we know when is the right time to make a decision that could yep. take us to the next step uh, in our careers? Yeah. I'd, I'd like to reflect back on what I call the five core elements piece in that take the time to really learn who you are because that's going to guide you on what you would like to do. I spoke at a conference and it was the CFAs. And I remember speaking to them. I thought it was going to be an audience of university students and recent grads, but one third of the audience were 10 plus years in industry. And here I am speaking about the rudimentary aspects of your career. And I'm like, there's going to be a third of this audience that is really going to be not happy with this presentation because it's like, what is this? I came here to 
to learn other stuff, professional stuff. There was this one gentleman in the front row, probably around 65 years old, 65-year-old gentleman, stern-looking face. And I said to myself, that's going to be my bad review. If anybody hates my presentation, he's the man. Because throughout the entire presentation, he had the stern-looking face. Well, after doing the five core elements piece and learning who you are, he calls me over. And I was like, okay, I'm prepared. I already know this is going not, this is not going to go well. He said this uh, five core elements piece. And I said, yes, yes, sir. And he goes, um, well, I've been in this industry for 25 years. I wish I would have known this when I first started. Am I even in the right job? He said, I graduated from, uni well, in university, finance made sense. I went through, got my first job in a bank and uh, then worked my way through it, all the way through, just head down, plowing through on a career. And now at uh, 65 years old, he's asking me, am I even in the right job? So this is where, as an example, I'm just uh, saying if they're young people, start thinking about the five core elements. Do the 16 personalities test. Write a personal statement. Learn who you are. If you're in industry, five core elements. What are the things that make up your foundation? Find a coach, someone who's going to work with you to say, okay, you know, it's a bit risky. There may be things that come out that you might not be prepared for to listen to or hear from yourself. The five core elements piece. Uh, per, write a personal statement. The 16 personalities test. Uh, you know, a personal statement is writing down on paper who I am. Journal. Like, you know, if you've been in a job for five years doing a particular job, start writing about, you know, what is it that you like about it, don't like about it. Mm -hmm. What you'll find is, let's say it hits three out of five of those five core elements. Well, what's missing? Can you incorporate it in the job? Is there a job in your grasp that would allow you to get the fourth aspect? Or can you do something outside of the office to realize what's maybe missing? Unfortunately, I, I mentor and coach a lot of people who are not happy with their jobs or not quite sure the next step. The ones who are not happy with their job, I call it the burning tree syndrome. Think of it this way. So there's a tree and it's on fire and you're on the tree. And your that tree is actually your job. Very much like someone who doesn't like their job, that tree is on fire. You're gonna get burned otherwise, but what's the first thing you will do when that tree's on fire? Well, you grab the closest vine and swing to the next tree. You now have a new job. And you get to this new job, fresh start, I'm ready to begin. And now you start working. But eventually, six months in, you don't like the job anymore, this new job. So that tree that you were that you left, that's gone. But now the tree that you're on has now caught fire too. What do you do? You grab a vine, swing to the next tree to escape the flames. But now you've jumped to a new job. Okay, another fresh start. So instead of jumping from tree to tree, instead, let's put the fire out. Let's understand who you are. Let's understand what is it that really matters to you at work, volunteer work, social, something that you can actually attach yourself to, to break that cycle. For me, it wasn't even the, my tree wasn't even on fire because I really loved my job. But I still took a leap and I look back and here's the part is, I still talk to some of my friends who are still in that Crown Corporation. They're two years away from early retirement. They don't like their jobs. It is going to feel like 20 years before they retire, even though it's only two years, because it's drudgery. It's like, yeah, I have to go in the office today. And, you know, you don't look forward to the Mondays. I left almost 23 years ago. It's felt like five years 
because things have gone by so fast because of that realization of things that I really want to do. And I think what's really important in this is I get it. I'm fortunate, not lucky, but fortunate that I've been able to really discover my pathway and that I've now been able to support and help many people in their pathway. I don't want people to have to go through life through drudgery. And oftentimes there's another quote that I use. It's, are you earning a living or are you living? So I think that's an important one for people to realize. Am I earning a living or am I living? And I get it. You have to pay the bills. You got to look after your family mortgage. But maybe we need to understand how we can start appreciating the, the small things in our job or things in our life that we need to do. I wrote a, or sorry, I spoke at TEDx SFU and I spoke about this concept that I call, um, it was on storytelling, but in there was this concept of discovering the extraordinary in the ordinary. We live in a world where we get so caught up in our routines, it's ordinary. But even the smallest things become extraordinary. But that's if you're open to it. And there's five ways that I've integrated how you can turn the ordinary into extraordinary. Curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, experience. Carpe. Curiosity is what stops me. Appreciation is appreciating something for more than what it is. Reflection is where you add purpose and meaning to it. Perspectives, we all have our perspectives and we add different purpose and meaning to things. And experience is capturing the story and building a story, but capturing what happened so it becomes an experience. Because if you don't capture this as an experience, it's going to die an untimely death. If I may share an example of how I can convert something from ordinary to extraordinary, what I do is I carry with me and I give people, and I've given about 5,000 pieces to date. I carry with me puzzle pieces. So here's a puzzle piece. And the thing that's interesting is I give this to people and I ask them, what can you do with this single piece of a jigsaw puzzle if I give it to you? And they look at it and they're like, actually not much. But do you know what? That puzzle single piece, it's ordinary. I'm going to magically transform it from ordinary to extraordinary. This is what we feel like. But instead of thinking about this single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, here's my satchel. This is where my puzzle pieces come from. If I was to give you a piece of this puzzle, do you realize my puzzle is now permanently incomplete without you because I've given you a piece of my puzzle? Do you realize how much you now matter to me? How much I need you? And it's a lesson I think we all need to learn is how important we are. And I've given about 5,000 of these pieces in the world to remind people how important they are. And I physically see the transformation on their face when I give it to them. These have now wound up on people's mirrors, taped to the mirror. And they say every morning I wake up, I look at it, and it reminds me someone said I was important. It sits in the most precious curio boxes. People travel with this. It's in their wallet and they see me at an event and they come running to me and say that I still hold your puzzle piece. Or they frantically come and find me saying, Sam, I lost your puzzle piece. I can't find it anywhere. I need to remain connected. Can I get a new piece? Or people who just wander up to me and say, I heard you do this puzzle thing. Can you explain what is that about? But that's just one example of how we can turn something ordinary into extraordinary. Anything around you is the, has the capacity to go from ordinary to extraordinary. And that's what I wrote about in my first book on personal storytelling, discovering the extraordinary out of the ordinary. Um, what, what is your favorite quote? Everyone's life is an autobiography, makers worth reading. 
Wow. We all are built. Yeah, we're all building an autobiography. And it doesn't have to be these grandiose, dangerous things. But it's a reminder that you're building an autobiography. Make it worth reading. And this is one of my, that's one of my favorite quotes. There's multiple many quotes on my Instagram that I've come up with. But that's a quote I live by. Everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. I see a lot of books behind you. Um, are you mm -hmm. an avid reader? Actually, with teaching, not so much an avid reader, but a writer. I actually write them as opposed to necessarily reading. I've read some good books, but equally, I love to write the books. So what's, what's the one book that you, you'd recommend all of us read? Mm -hmm. Besides the one I wrote? Besides the one you wrote. <laughs> um, there's one that I, I read that I really enjoyed. It's called The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because I'm a storyteller. And when I read it, it made a lot of sense that I, it was one of those affirmations that what I've been doing in life is what I should keep doing in life. So The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo is one that I recommend. Okay. Um, Sam, just going back, in our conversation, the one question that, yep. that keeps popping up in my head, I know you said mm -hmm. you don't have regrets. I know you said mm -hmm. that you have to embrace taking risks. Mm -hmm. um, but with the current environment, how do you, mm -hmm. what, what's your secret to dealing with stress? How do you, I, yep. I know we don't like the word stress. We try to, yep. um, you know, in, especially because you've just been to a mental health conference. Um, mm -hmm. It is so important, but it's, you know, it's a, a word that we don't like to talk about, mental health. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. But part of mental health is also managing stress. So how, yep. how do you recommend one manages stress in their yeah. daily job? Well, yeah. And actually what I came up with, and again, this is where when the creative juices flow. So here's the situation. We're hit with the pandemic. And I thought to myself, how can I maneuver through this? And I came up with a concept that I call CARE. There is a need for us to care right now. CARE stands for collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Those are four things that I need to embrace in my life. Those are four things I need to share with individuals, teams, and organizations, my students. We need to collaborate. And it's the mindset that I, that, that's why it came to me is because I realized in order to get through this, I'm not in this by myself. We need to collaborate and work together. Mm -hmm. Adaptability means being agile. So in March of last year, when we suddenly went virtual um, online teaching, my, my colleagues, many of them struggled. For me, it was more like, okay, here's what's been imposed upon me. And again, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. And the transition was not that difficult for me because, again, I was adaptable to it. So adaptability is important. Resilience, I've embedded into my life, is this is not over next week or next month. This is a marathon. And in a marathon, you have to pace yourself. Now, I don't live in a world that's, you know, cotton candy clouded, rainbows and unicorns. No, no, there's reality happening around me. But I've built this resilience and it goes back to the candle, not the bucket scenario I gave. Empathy is care and compassion. Talk to people, listen to people, uh, be present. And, sh and, and this whole aspect of sharing. People are going through a difficult time. We need to show empathy. Try to understand how they are. Stop looking at the world through your eyes and try to understand what other people are going through. In fact, my last lecture I just finished was on perceptions. We go forward with our perceptions and we guard our perceptions, but we're not willing to understand other people's perspectives. I do a simple exercise in my class where I show them a picture of the ocean and I said, one word and only one word, how would you describe this picture? And I get words like deep, blue, 
calm, serene, dangerous, um, mermaid, sand, pirates, sushi. I gather all these words and then I tell my students, which one's the right word? And they're like, aren't they all right? And I said, okay, but if I'm the manager and I have one word and that word is calm, the person who saw dangerous, we can't work with them. Person who saw sand, you're not even looking at the ocean. Pirates and, and mermaids, I'm sorry, we can't work together. But then I tell my students, why are differing opinions so important in the organization? Why should I listen to them? And they're like, well, because you have one perspective and they're seeing it in a different way and that's going to provide more creative solutions. I'm like, exactly. But why do we impose our perceptions on people? So empathetically, we need to understand. And I need the person who sees sand or mermaid or sushi or pirates because I'm a very conceptual, broad thinker. I'm going to miss things. I need them to help me make it so that we are all in this together. So it's about collaborating, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. That's how we're going to get through this. I have been nodding my head so much that my neck hurts. Um, let me ask you my last question. Mm -hmm. If you knew then what you know now, mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. the one thing you would say to your then self? Yep. I would tell the younger Sam who was going through university thinking, you know what, who's lucky to get me and the journey that he's going to be on. I'm not going to tell Sam anything except you're going to be okay. That's it. Like you're going to be okay. You're going to have obstacles, but you're going to be okay. Embrace the obstacles, learn, but you're going to be okay. Uh, let's let's talk about your books. So you've you've got sure. how many books you you're you're in, you're like you said you're an avid author. But tell us about <laughs> your books. How many books have you got? Sure. Well, I've, I mean, I've only written two books, but I'm, a, I'm also a blogger. I've got 170 blog posts. Yeah. But uh, the latest book I wrote is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past, Finding Myself. And it's about my journey to India for the very first time um, in 2004 to seek my ancestral roots with just a photograph and very little information. And in the process... It was about finding myself, my identity. So that's why it's called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. It's a, I was a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to me. But I was a somebody who went on this journey and embraced and wanted to experience something I had never seen before. And Literally, there was only a thin thread that separated my ancestral roots from the present time because, you know, my family has moved around and my parents have never been to India. I needed to do this. And again, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. So I embrace the challenge and I'm glad it was an arduous journey, a difficult journey. I mean, if it was as easy as get off the plane, get to this village, and then show them the picture and you find your grandfather's house, number one, it would make for a very short book and a very boring book. But equally at the same time, I actually needed to endure an experience going to the Golden Temple and having a spiritual moment, uh, seeing poverty at its most rawest, rawest form and not being able to do anything and how... I write about all of those and funny things about my wife going shopping and how it literally was like watching a boxing match between the shopkeeper and the person helping us buy everything. <clears throat> a lot of my life is exposed in that book and it's written, you know, with um, this appreciative love of Biad. It was written with Biad, but it's a book that uh, I'm so glad that I, I was able to to write and my heart and soul is poured into this book. Let's just quickly translate for all the non-Hindi mm -hmm. speakers. Pyar yes. is love. It was written An with a lot of love. love. Yes. 
It was. And it's my heart and soul was poured into this book. Yes. What's the second book? What's it about? So, yeah, the first book I wrote was on personal storytelling, discovering the extraordinary out of the ordinary. We live in the world that's ordinary, but how do we pull? And that comes out of that TEDx speech that I spoke in 2011, discovering the extraordinary out of the ordinary. Um, I'm in the process of writing another book, and this one is geared to the 15 to 25-year-olds on life and career. So a lot of what I've shared today, and even more, is embedded in this book about you know, purpose over passion, goals and objectives, uh, goals and intentions, um, how the smallest things make the most profound impacts, um, the puzzle analogy. All of this is going to be written in this next book that I'm just working on right now. Any idea when it's going to get published? I'm hoping that sometime by 2022, it'll be published. Uh, it'll incorporate into a podcast that I'm launching as well. And as well becomes part of that peak, uh, speaking circuit aspect. Uh, I speak about leadership. I speak about personal branding, um, about this whole storytelling and mentorship piece. It all relates to this. We leave a link in the description for the, on, where sure. people can buy the book. It's available sure. on Amazon. I looked it up. Yes. I got myself a yeah. few copies. I'm waiting nice. for my signed copy. But totally. tell us a little bit about this podcast and what else are you currently working on that we should look forward to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, teaching. Uh, so uh, I, I find so much purpose in, in my class. And what I do is I tell my students that what you get out of the textbook is knowledge. I want to provide them wisdom, which is the application of that knowledge. So teaching, that's a consistency. And I'm always happy to speak to administrators at universities or speaking to university students uh, about any number of topics related to personal development, leadership, and things like that. The podcast is a way that I'm able to tap into a number of people that will have stories to share about their personal journey, lessons learned, and to make it into a conversation that allows me to share because it's not just then me sharing the story of what they should know but if you hear it from other people and it resonates then it reinforces so the podcast uh speaking opportunities i'm always available to speak on any number of topics as mentioned leadership or uh, personal professional development um, mentorship I really do want to work with individuals, teams, organizations to help them grow and align and work towards being the best that they can be. The woodworking, that's just the side piece I have that just provides me this freedom to do what I want. And I'm also contributing to a, a children's book right now. Uh, on leadership and followership uh, with the person who uh, we're, we're both contributing to this uh, story. Well, thank you very, very much, Sam, for taking the time. I know it's um, it's almost 9.30 at night where you are. But thank you for doing this. We truly, truly appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, we'll put all the links in the description. We'll make sure that mm -hmm. we find something for you to do in the Middle East very, very soon, <laughs> in spite of the pandemic. Um, but thank, thank you. you for being here. Oh, no, my pleasure. And I always find any opportunity I can have to share. If someone is listening and they just take one thing away from today, my, my work here is done. And I leave away with this satisfaction that the world is a little bit better. Uh, I think that one thing that I've really dedicated my life to is changing the world, not through my eyes, because that's impossible if I want to change the world. Instead, I change the world through the eyes of the people I help, because if I spend time and I share and they see the world differently as a result of what I've shared, I've actually changed the world. So rather than changing the world through my eyes, I want to change the world through the eyes of the people I help. 
because then I know the world has changed because they see it differently. They experience it differently. And uh, it's it's something that I've dedicated my life to is changing the world one person at a time. You have you have changed the way I look at my world since I've known you. So, so thank you for being my mentor and thank you for... I mean, I, I call you, you my mentor, but I have never discussed officially that you are my mentor. But Sam, I thought it was just assumed. Assumed, yes. Thank you. Thank you very, no, very much. My pleasure. Uh, yes. We hope you have a good year. We look forward to speaking to you soon. Oh, no. My pleasure. And thank you for uh, allowing me the opportunity to share. And, you know, may 2021 be a memorable year for you and your audience members. And... I'm hopeful that sometime in the near future, I will be returning back to the Gulf region. Inshallah. Inshallah.